Good evening, Rifters. This is Riffs and Rules, the 5e D&D podcast, where we go through the many 5e books and talk about various rules and enhance your gameplay experience. I'm Nathan, the Dungeon Master of Riffwake. And I'm Remy, a player on Riffwake and a Dungeon Master myself. And today we're here to talk about hags. <laughs> Come to Granny. Anyway, hags are, and actually, how do I even phrase this? They're a very well-known type of creature to exist. They are a classic creature from mythology. They're something that is mentioned in many different fantasy sources. But they're also something that I actually don't see used a whole lot. So this episode is actually brought to you by a listener request from Emilio. You asked for it, and here you go, buddy. So, Nathan, what's a hag? A hag is a creepy old lady that has magic powers, also happens to be a monster. Technically, all true. So, uh, there are quite a lot of different types of hags, different specifics to the different types of hags. So, the primary source that I'm going to be using to just focus a little bit more is the Volo's Guide to Monsters, because it has an entire section on hags that has a lot of very specific details about how hags work generally. So that's what I'm going to be focusing on for the most part, because just sorting by just creature type, there's actually something like a dozen or so different types of hags. There's sea hags, green hags, night hags, anise hags, dusk hags. So yeah, there's quite a few. But what is particularly interesting about hags, mechanically speaking, there are a few things that most of them do have in common, which is that most of them are described as being particularly ugly creatures. However, practically every type of hag has either the ability to just change their shape or give themselves an illusory appearance. So some way to disguise themselves to not look like the creature that they are. Another fun fact, actually, just about them, mechanically speaking, most varieties of hag are actually fey. So they come from the fey wild, where they are pretty much outcasts due to how ugly that they are. So both like the seely and unseely courts of the fey wild revere beauty as part of their shtick, really. So hags are very explicitly excluded from both courts, which is part of the reason that hags are one of the more common creatures on the material plane is because they kind of hate the Feywild, which makes sense given that they are excluded from both of the powerful groups there. So kind of just sucks to be them. However, they are very much not a creature to be pitied. Hags are one of the very, very few types of creatures where I'm actually more okay with them having an assigned alignment. Most of the time, I will argue that you can have a demon that makes reasonable bargains for the sake of getting more souls that will actually follow the deal as intended and not just as written. A hag, I will argue, can actually be more evil than a demon. 
because part of their canonical lore is that they do make many bargains much like demons and devils, but they do not do it for the sake of getting control of a soul or corrupting a soul to, you know, get sent to hell. Hags explicitly make bargains and Faustian bargains at that, like intending to do terrible things, specifically because they basically get off on making people miserable. They gain actual joy as much as they're able to by making others suffer. They are capital E evil more than really most other creatures. But being able to use them in such a way actually does open up some more interesting doors for a dungeon master because there are quite a few other aspects of them that is kind of a mix of lore and mechanics that does not get talked about a whole lot, which is their age. A hag explicitly, let me actually just read this line because it is very explicitly written here in the Volo's Guide to Monsters. Hags are virtually immortal with a lifespan greater than that of even dragons and elves. Holy shit. I did not know that. This is just a lore line just tucked away in the book. However, from my outside in DM brain, that has quite a number of repercussions because a dragon can live over a thousand years. Elves in 5th edition have a 700 year lifespan. So with it being explicitly greater than dragons and elves, that would mean then that you can have hags that are over a thousand years old. Now, part of what makes that very interesting to me as a dungeon master is the fact that just because a hag is going to be incredibly old does not mean that it's going to necessarily be particularly powerful. However, a hag's primary danger is not supposed to be in its magical power, but in its ability to manipulate and control the people and beings around them. Because even though hags don't usually have large amounts of magical power at their disposal, although we will go into the exceptions to that later on, if you have a creature that has been around for just a few hundred years, even if we just have like a relatively young hag, then that would mean that they could have been around in a particular area for generations. So if they do have just some small amount of magic at their disposal to just blend in that little bit more amongst the humanoids, so something like an illusory appearance, which they all have, then all of a sudden you have this creature that can know an entire small town just completely. This can be an individual who knows what makes people tick, who knows the strings to be pulled in order to just cause trouble. So depending on how patient you want to have the hag be, and you should have them be patient because of their lifespan, then you have an individual who suddenly can choose to make generational plans. And beings who are able to make long-term plans are horrifying if a DM is able to twist their brain into making such plans. So having there be, you know, 
two people who have a mild allergy to a particular plant that grows near a hag. The hag might choose to arrange for these two people to actually, you know, marry each other, fall in love, and then have children, hoping that some offspring will get just the worst allergy based on the recessive genes of the two parents. And then just have it be that if the child just goes for a walk in the woods, they have this near-deathly allergic reaction. Specifically so, the hag can then try to make a bargain with the parents for you know the health of the child and maybe you even have it be and then you get into the faustian bargain angle of things okay maybe the child gets healed but like loses their sight and sound and then you just have a child who is alive but blind and deaf in a dnd fantasy world where such is that much more dangerous or it could be the you know the more classic example of maybe you have to you know trade the father's life for the child and then you have a child growing up knowing that his, their father literally sacrificed themselves so that they can live and just how does that fuck with a family does one of the siblings perhaps like blame that child on their father's death saying if you hadn't gotten sick dad would still be alive and that's the kind of thing that could just inspire a character to like become an adventurer in the future or that's the kind of thing that could shatter a family and that's such an easy thing for a long-lived creature to try to make plans in that vein long-term plans can be crazily dangerous but besides just the ability of the long-term plans, the magic that a hag does have at its disposal is interesting in that it is different than how a normal monster or spellcaster or anything really actually works because hags are one of the very few creatures that explicitly are able to create their own magic items. And even in addition to that fact, they are a creature that is able to create curses. And it is very purposefully not explicitly written exactly what a curse can entail. But that just means then that it's up to the dungeon master who is able to decide on such things. And this also gives a nice little bow to be tied on cursed magic items, because part of a hag's description has the fact that, yes, it does have these unique items that the hag themselves is able to use, but they do also have just interesting trinkets and magic items and stuff that they have collected over their enormous lifespan. And if they are just a creature making evil bargains over a long period of time, then it makes sense for them to have collected collected some interesting stuff over time. So not just the hag having interesting loot, but the fact that hags could be the in-world origin of cursed magic items. Because the fact that they can explicitly make magic items and curse things means that you can then have the cursed magic items instead of just being a stupid, weird thing that has no logical explanation in a world, this finally gives one. So this finally has, oh, okay, so it's not just that humans are assholes and spent thousands of gold to make a cursed magic item, but that there might have been an already existing magic item that is then corrupted by this evil creature to be cursed. That makes so much more sense from the world building perspective that I am 
just super pleased that this was suggested to us for me to just come across that because I'm pretty sure I've actually gone on some previous rants about how much I despise the idea of cursed magic items because there are so many cheaper ways to inconvenience or kill someone than a cursed magic item. But having it be a consequence or a side effect of just a hag being near it or a hag wanting to just spread misfortune because it is their source of joy, that actually makes sense in a world. And if you just have even just a few hags on a continent, then that can just be a source for some quantity of cursed magic items. And I'm just super pleased that there finally is an actual explanation for why there would be such items out there. Uh, sorry, that was a bit of a tangential rant, but uh, well, we're in episode what, 92? You know how that goes by now. 91. No, it is 92. I was right the first time. Yeah. Anyway, Remy rant aside. Besides just the fact of them being a source of cursed magic items, I did also just mention that they have unique magic items of their own. Now, what is also kind of neat about this, there are a few in like the stat block of the creature that is just, okay, they have this thing. But the fact that there is an entire section on them in the Volo's Guide to Monsters, even does kind of spell that out more and just give examples. So it mentions that if you have a more powerful hag, that you can have them, number one, just be more magically powerful. And it even does also mention, although not give any kind of stat block, that an old hag can actually be as powerful as an archfey. Now, tangent on a tangent once again, that stuck out for me because Archfey are one of the creatures that is able to create a warlock pact. So that would at least imply that a powerful enough hag might be able to make warlocks. And anything that is able to make more warlocks in the world makes a happy Remy. Anyway, so I mentioned also that they can have just these kind of Faustian bargains. So having it be just not knowing exactly what you're going to get. But like we also did talk about back in the Devils episode, if you do have magical contracts especially, but even if you don't, most non-adventurers, if they have something bad in their life, they do not have the resources of noblemen. They do not have the resources of adventurers. So even though everyone knows, quote unquote, that a hag is going to mess with the bargain somehow, that is going to have some kind of worse reaction, there will always be people who think, oh no, other people in the past were just too greedy on what they wanted, or they were, you know, not as smart as I am to be able to outwit such a creature. Just human arrogance is infinite, and there will always be people who think that they can get the better of a hag or a devil that that's just always going to be a thing that people do and again if it's much less known that a hag can be such an old creature even if you do assume that the hag is you know a regular human aged old lady that they are just you know in their 70s or 80s or some such 
then there are expectations that a human puts on such a creature that, oh, you know, at that age, they're not as smart anymore. And that lack of understanding that, no, 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 this is just the creature that looks like that. And they may be several hundred years old, and they're almost certainly going to be smarter than you. It just creates this forever loop of stupid people going to the hag for the sake of just trying to get something out of them. And what's also pretty neat is that back in Volo's Guide, it does also list a few of the things that a hag might potentially be able to do. So one of so let me just find this list here real quick, because there are quite a number of neat things in there. Okay. So first off, it does mention that an older hag is going to end up more powerful, most likely, and that the most powerful ones are referred to as grandmother hags. So there is no stat block anywhere for any of these, which is somewhat irksome, but they are described at length as having some rather interesting abilities. So it does mention here... Uh, hag of great age and renown might know unique rituals that can temporarily or permanently alter or transform a creature, bring back the dead for a limited time, rewrite memories, or siphon emotions. At the other end of the spectrum, even a hag without lofty status is likely to have strange single-use items that don't emulate common spells or even follow the normal rules of magic. So it is completely open-ended to a DM to make use of hags for the sake of hand-wavium. So you can have, you know, person dies in some tragic accident, and then uh, the hag is to make a deal that, you know, the person comes back. And they do. For a while. Now, especially because it does have that that one little line that they don't even have to follow the normal rules of magic. That's the kind of thing that just makes me have that evil DM grin and just pose Mr. Burns style. And it is easy to imagine for me that, okay, bring back the dead for a limited time. That gives me ideas. So you can either have it be they come back for 24 hours, but then you also have the option, do they know that or not? So if you have someone who is only going to be alive for 24 hours and knows it, that creates interesting story potential. If this were to happen to a player character, what would a player character do with 24 hours knowing that they're on the clock? Or what happens if they don't know that they're on a time limit? This is something that I would not do to a player character because that's just kind of a dick move for a DM to do to a player character, to not tell them. Unless, of course, you were to hint at it in some way. Instead of 24 hours, maybe, okay, you are brought back from the dead, but your body begins to decompose as if you were dead. And that you can hint that maybe after some amount of time, they are reduced to simply a sentient skeleton. And then it also would be up to the player. Do they even want to keep playing that character at that point in time? Would they retire him, try to find a way to end the curse? Would they try to just be a skeleton player character? And there's angles that you as a DM can use with your players, and hopefully with your players' consent too, because of that not following the normal rules of magic. That gives you complete open-endedness on how to do anything in terms of your interactions with the hag. 
uh, sorry, to kind of backtrack a little bit as well. I did mention a few times that they have unique magic items. So let me just go ahead and pull up one of the types of hags that has such a thing. Uh, okay, so the night hag is one good example then. So they have to create magic items that they typically do have available to them. So one of them is called a heartstone. So this gem allows the night hag to become ethereal while it is in her possession. The touch of a heartstone also cures any disease. Crafting a heartstone takes 30 days. So this is an amazing item to just exist in the world. So even if you do limit it by DM Fiat to, okay, the, the hag can become ethereal, but not other people who have it, okay, fine. But just that it can cure disease, well, that gives a very obvious thing that this particular type of hag could use for the sake of just bargaining. The ability to cure any disease with minimal effort from the hag's part, not that they'll necessarily tell other people about that part, that's amazing. But etherealness is also not to be underestimated, because the ethereal plane is another of the ones parallel to the material plane. But that is the plane of ghostliness, for lack of a better word. That is the one where, okay, if you're ethereal, nothing from the material plane can touch you, because you are just not dimensionally aligned. So that would mean then that when the hag goes ethereal, they will take no damage unless it is something that explicitly can target an ethereal creature. But that also means that objects like walls won't affect an ethereal night hag. So if the fight is going badly for a hag, this is very much one of those creatures that should never, ever fight to the death. And that if they just get hit then they should consider, ah, maybe this is not worth the effort, and then simply run away through the wall and try to get away. So especially because, so sticking with the Night Hag example, it also does have, as innate spellcasting, the ability to cast Plane Shift, to just teleport to another freaking dimension. So their ability to do that means that if someone were to inconvenience a night hag, then that could very easily be, okay, that happens, they get out of there. Then you have a nigh-immortal creature that hates you. So having a night hag against the party can easily be just a very fun exercise for a dungeon master. I mean, hell, you could even backtrack the timeline a bit and have it be, no, 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 it's not that the player characters ever did anything to a particular hag, but their great-grandparents just did something slight to inconvenience them. And then for the last century or so, every single member of their family has died before they passed 40 years old. No one knows why, but there are whispers of a family curse. And this could be a part of a character's backstory that you as a DM can play out through the use of a hag because they would hold a grudge for generations. And this just goes back once again to that long-term planning for that nigh-immortal creature. Uh, sorry, I got distracted from the items again. So back to that. 
a night hag also has a soul bag. When an evil humanoid dies as a result of one of its powers, uh, the hag catches the soul in this black sack made of stitched flesh. A soul bag can hold only one evil soul at a time, and only the night hag who crafted the bag can catch a soul with it. Uh, takes seven days and a human sacrifice to make, blah, 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 blah. The point being that this is one of the very, very few canonical ways to capture a soul. So, as you may remember, back in our Immortality episode a couple weeks ago, catching a soul, or trapping a soul, is one of the very, very few ways to stop someone who has gone on to immortality through the use of clone, or, I mean, actually, come to think of it, even a lich, it could be argued, it is just by having their soul get caught when they die. So some of the most common methods of immortality, and this is explicitly when an evil humanoid dies. Well, actually, I guess since it is humanoid, that would exclude liches. So liches, you're safe for now. Anyway, but any person who is immortal through the use of clones, this is a canonical item to trap a soul. Now, this is where, once again, I will just take the Mr. Burns pose. If you have a high-level bad guy in the world that the player characters do not have any type of soul trap to try to stop the individual, then the party might need to make a bargain with a night hag, because you might need the night hag to kill this evil individual that the party is against to try to capture their soul. And then you have the player characters knowing, hopefully, about the dangers of a bargain with a hag, needing to do such for the greater good you know, of themselves, the area, depending on you know, how big, uh, big bad you are against. So having a hag be a lesser evil could be a, another just interesting angle to take with them in a campaign. So I mentioned that they do have some varieties in their magical power. So this is another just way that their magic does not work the same as other creatures. So normally a hag is a solitary individual and just does not like others around. But... They have a connection, for lack of a better word, with the number three. So a lot of the things that they do are in threes, whether that is, you know, for three generations, I curse you, or, excuse me, or just the fact that when three hags work together as a coven, all of them get just a boost to their magic. So they do actually have a separate listing for coven variants of most of the hags in the books with a special shared spellcasting trait. While all three members of a hag coven are within 30 feet of one another, they can each cast the following spells from the wizard's spell list, but must share the spell slots among themselves. And they have from first level all the way up to sixth level spells. So a normal hag is only able to cast a handful of spells of a very limited finite list for their innate spellcasting. But the ability to cast a full list of wizard spells makes them so much more dangerous. However, somewhat balanced by the fact that they share the spell slots. So instead of just having all three of them able to cast a sixth level spell, 
one of the three can cast that sixth level spell once, and then all of them do not have that sixth level spell slot anymore. So it is a somewhat more complicated system to keep track of, but just the existence of it, again, is rather interesting. So that is a huge boost in power to just the magic that they would normally have available to them. And uh, as we often, often talk about as well, magic itself is just a very dangerous thing in the world. So one detail in addition for just the weird magic of a hag is just the fact that, okay, it does list these kind of spells that they'll have available. However, one thing that a lot of dungeon masters just don't think about or possibly just don't even know, every single book that lists a type of creature is giving an average example of them. So every single just type of creature, whether that is, you know, beholder or hag or anything, lists an average one. So there will be some that are a little weaker. There will be some that are a bit stronger. And as part of that also, all spell lists are malleable. So part of the reason that creatures will say that they have, you know, such and such levels of spells from the wizard spell list is because you as a DM are free and practically encouraged, if not as blatantly as I would like, to tweak the spells that spell casting creatures have available. So in this case, there are the listed spells that are the normal, quote unquote, for a hag coven to use, but you can and should tweak the spells to whatever you want their abilities to be. So whether you want them to have, you know, more direct damage spells or something like, you know, Ray of Sickness to try to poison creatures, or if you want them to be that more manipulative one, if they're, you know, an older hag, so they just have Charm Person, perhaps, as a spell prepared, or if they have, you know, Fireball as one of their third level spells. Just because there are these listed ones does not mean that you cannot tweak them for the story that you're trying to use with the hag. So, in addition to all of that, there is, again, just worth reiterating that just because there are things that you can tweak and rules that are listed does not mean that you as a DM can't tweak things ever farther. Just because they do also mention, like I said earlier, that there are listed descriptions that there are stronger hags to exist, but no stat box for such a creature. It lists some potential magic items that might be created by such a creature, but it doesn't list any specific examples for more powerful things that can be out there. So it even mentions in Volo's guide, but not in any of the stat blocks, that these more powerful hags can even have lair actions, like a freaking dragon or other just powerful creatures, just that their presence can corrupt the area around them. And that's just fucking cool. But so much of the details about what you can do with a hag, what hags themselves can do, isn't listed in their stat blocks. And it is only in Volo's Guide that they just have these additional descriptions of other things that you're able to do. I mean, one that just immediately just worth mentioning, a sea hag, which is generally one of the weaker varieties, has a potential lair action to pick a humanoid in their lair and instantly create 
a simulacrum of that creature. So it is a deformed version that is made like formed out of seaweed, slime, half-eaten fish, and other garbage, but still generally resembles the creature it's imitating. So it only lasts for a single round, but a simulacrum, we'll, we'll probably have to do a full episode of that in the future just because that is such an interesting spell, but it creates a copy of whatever you cast it on. And with that ability, you also copy whatever magic the thing you're copying has. So if the hag is just fighting a party with a strong magic user, then okay, you have a simulacrum of that powerful individual. So if you're fighting someone who the hag themselves would normally be totally fucked fighting against, then they have for one turn this ally. Grab the hag, teleport away, because maybe that magic user can teleport. Or if you are just insistent on having it be a fight to the death, then okay, fine. Uh, fireball, cast at seventh level, because fuck you. Like, it is such a horrifically dangerous, versatile spell that the fact that they can just do this as a layer action, therefore meaning that it could even be repeated occasionally, is insane, considering that, again, the sea hag, not the strongest creature. That is a CR2. Like, that is so far down the totem pole of powerful creatures. But the fact that they can just create that copy of the thing that they're fighting against is just neat. And that really neat can sum up a lot of how hags work, because the fact that it is that almost explicit hand wavium is just neat. Because so much of their abilities are, as I, you know, like, it, what was the phrase? Just not using the standard rules of magic. Like, even another just weird canonical detail. Crab folk are a thing that exists in 5th edition, but crab they're just people. briefly mentioned. Crab people. <laughs> crab people. But yeah, like, they're just briefly mentioned in uh, Mordenkainen's Fiendish Folio. Thank you. But the so crab folk are just these like brute creatures that exist that are pretty neat. I actually do quite like them. But in their description, it even says crab folk are the result of a magical ritual used long ago by a mighty green hag to transform her ogre minions into more useful servants. All crab folk that now exist are descended from those original creatures. You know, blah, 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 blah. So that is amazing. So that gives you another canonical idea of what a powerful hag can actually do. The fact that they can create a ritual to transform creatures temporarily or permanently was a thing that we talked about briefly earlier as something hags can do. But now we find out with this detail that not only can they transform creatures, but they can actually make it breed true. So you could use hags in your world to explain some of the weird shit that exists out there. Like if you think that, you know, like we talked about with Swamps on Tuesday, if you think that bullywogs and turtles are a weird thing to have naturally evolved, okay, they didn't evolve. Some hag centuries ago just wanted to have a, you know, tougher armored bodyguard and just transformed a bunch of turtles into a humanoid or just, you know, transformed a humanoid to have the shell of a, tor a tortoise. Like you can have hags be the hand wavium for 
explore some of the weird shit that does exist in D&D that would just not really work by evolution, you can have it be, no, no, it's not natural evolution. These things were created by these just creative, old, bored, malicious creatures. So... Then you get into just one final question, which was asked by Amelia, who requested this topic to us, which was, what might happen if a troll were to eat a hag? So trolls, as a quick refresher, can potentially take on some of the traits of the thing that they eat. And with a hag, as kind of strange and chaotic as they can be, there's a couple of ways that that might have some interesting repercussions. Either the troll might just take on some enormously extended lifespan. So maybe that you have an ancient troll out in the world, because if you combine the lifespan of a hag with a troll's regeneration, a troll hag, trag, let's go with trag, a trag might have an even longer lifespan than a hag would naturally because of the troll's regeneration getting added to the lifespan. Or maybe the troll is able to take on some of the magic of the hag. So then maybe you just have this troll that is suddenly able to illusionarily disguise itself or just take on some of the other spell casting of the hag because... Trolls generally are not depicted as a creature that is able to cast magic, which is actually somewhat odd because they are fully sentient creatures, so they should be able to learn if they just ever got the opportunity. Hashtag stop keeping trolls down. So in summary for hags in general, though, the fact that a creature exists in canonical D&D to not only make Faustian bargains with NPCs or potentially PCs as well, but are able to do such explicitly without following the normal rules of magic, gives Dungeon Masters a fantastic creature to use to create all kinds of shenanigans to have fun at the table. Thanks for listening to this episode of Riffs and Rules. Please leave us a review and give us five stars on iTunes. Also, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast. Tier stars those a dollar and even that much really helps us out. Support us get benefits such as behind the scenes content, early access to episodes, access to the Patreon Discord where we will chat with cast, and even a shout out on the show. Find us on social media on Twitter at Riffwake Podcast, on Facebook as Riffwake, and on Reddit on the subreddit r slash Riffwake Podcast. And now send us an email, riffsandrules at gmail.com. That's riffs A and D rules at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.